Previously on Gigdemin Paws. What's it like to work with them? Amazing. I can tell you, um, I got to see Bill, Bill Plimpton three feet away from me uh, in a hotel room working on the cartoon. Um, uh, so it's just, he's, he's the real deal. He's an actual, uh, I'll give you a specific example. Um, so we were in near Santa Barbara and we were there. I forget why we were there, but maybe we were showing the film or something. I don't remember, but we were at, at his hotel room mm -hmm. and he had, um, he took one of the lamps down and he took the top off and he had a, a glass sheet and he was using it as a light table, you know? And I thought that's so like, I don't know. I don't want to say it was ghetto, but I'm like, Bill, can't you just buy yourself? And he's like, no, this works great. No. Today on Gigdemin Powers. I realized that maybe this wasn't the best opportunity. I mean, it's hard to turn down a million bucks to work for Disney, which was my childhood dream. Uh, but, you know, um, I did. I had to do it. Um, and maybe that was a stupid idea. I don't know. But every morning when I wake up and I go to my drawing board and draw whatever I want, uh, and no one's criticizing me or making me change stuff, uh, that to me is worth more than a million dollars. You are listening to Geekdom Empowers, the podcast about people empowered through their geekiness. Welcome back! My name is Guy Hasson, and you are listening to Geekdom Empowers. Wow, we are at episode 50. That's freaking crazy! 50 episodes of geeks and creators and fans from all around the world, creating a huge, giant, world-sized Geekverse quilt. I invented that, and that's not something I'm happy with, but... It's a terrible name for something that's really good. In 50 episodes, we've explored indie comics creators. We talked to web comics creators from the US and Finland. We talked to the founders of Kugali, a company which creates pan-African comics and animation. Rose out of nothing and signed a deal with Disney. We talked to Spanish science fiction authors and translators. We talked to a Spanish publishing company that publishes only female and non-binary authors. And we learned about how small publishers can create big changes. We talked to cosplayers and found out that racism can be found anywhere. We talked about the LGBTQ mainstream comics. We talked to indie animators. We talked to an Italian author and publisher who finds science fiction from literally all around the world, stuff that's never been translated, and he publishes it in Chinese and Italian. We also spoke to a new and upcoming Chinese author. We spoke to an Israeli science fiction editor. We talked to a Japanese manga artist who wanted to be different and couldn't do it in Japan. We talked to an actor who created his own niche of playing CGI characters and building stuff for them. We talked to a stuntwoman on big SF shows and found out what goes on behind the scenes. We talked to authors and comics creators from Senegal, from Nigeria, from Zimbabwe. We talked to a woman who creates Latina superheroines to empower girls and women. We talked to a man who built a physical vintage science fiction bookstore in the age of Amazon. 
we talked to a man who created his own cinematic sci-fi universe, and we talked to a woman who writes and publishes romantic sci-fi books. We talked to the woman who is the chairperson of the Israeli Society of Fantasy and Science Fiction, where we also learned about how cons work from behind the scenes. We talked to a team who writes comics based on Native American heritage. And I am so happy that you're listening. I am so proud that Geekdom in Pals is growing. I am so proud of the dream behind Geekdom in Pals. So, here it is one more time, the dream. Geekdom in Pals is the podcast that highlights creators and fans in the geek world who do not often get to be highlighted. It's these people who make up almost all of the geek world. By talking to each person, by hearing their story, Geekdom in Powers creates a huge, giant, world-sized quilt of the geeks all around the world. Each person is a story, and together we are one story. One huge Geekverse quilt. Not trademarked. <laughs> I will never cover all the fans and creators around the world, but I will keep trying to find interesting people in our Geekverse that will teach us about them and about us and take us through uh, their journeys and their stories. And now, for a special 50th episode, we have a special guest, Bill Plimpton, who basically needs no introduction. He is the king of indie animation. You have seen his movies. Even if you don't know anything about him, you have seen his movies. Google him. You know, search him on YouTube, you will find things of his that you have. You say, yeah, I know that. He has won many awards. He has been doing this for decades. And when we agreed on the interview, I told him about the podcast. And I told him he doesn't really fit the bill of the people I interview because I interview people who are not highlighted. And he is highlighted, having done this for decades now. And, but... I think that what he can say and teach us about how to go your own way, how to do your own thing, how to stick it out for decades, uh, is priceless. And that was completely true. That's what he talks about. This is a short episode and it is full of gems. So enjoy the conversation with Bill Plimpton. Hey, guy, how you doing? Can you see me? I can see you. Hello. Yes, let me go sit down to a comfortable, comfortable chair. Ugh. Okay, so uh, what's up? I wanted to follow with you the path of, you know, you've gone your own way, you've done your own thing uh, for a few decades now. And mm-hmm. I wanted to follow that up from the beginning. Like, what was it like in the beginning? What was it like in the middle? What's it like now? Because I think many of our listeners are trying to do their own thing. When I got out of college, I wanted to be an animator. Actually, when I got into college, I wanted to, that was my uh, my ambition was to be a um, animator. But um, the uh, animation business was really dead then. There was no you know, Disney was bankrupt. Warner Brothers had stopped doing animation. Um, only thing left was Hanna Barbera, and that was crap. I hated Hanna Barbera, so I moved to New York City from Oregon to um, be an illustrator, a cartoonist. So I became a cartoonist, but I still wanted to be an animator. And um, 
it was around 1986, 85. I did a film called Boomtown. And this is the film that really taught me how to make animation because there was no animation schools back then, back when I was in college, which was around this, the 60s. And so once I did Boomtown, I said, well, now I know how to make a film. I'm going to make my own film. And, um, and it's going to be an experiment. It's, it's called Your Face. And um, it was an experimental film. I didn't expect very much from it. But uh, really surprisingly, the film was a huge hit. Um, it, it got bought by a lot of studios and, and um, TV stations and, and people like that. And so right away, I was making money. So I didn't really need to work uh, at a, a Disney studio or um, any of the other studios at that point. I was, uh, my films were making good money. So why should I work on someone else's films when I have a lot of ideas for myself? Um, and consequently, um, about a, two years later, three years later, Disney uh, called me, the studio called me, and they sent a, a lawyer to my studio in New York City. And they said, um, we want to offer you a million dollars to come out and work for Disney Studios on our films. They never told me what films I would be working on, but that's what they, uh, that's what they said. Did I said, yeah, that's a great idea. Like, like, I'm sorry, what? Did they say what job it was? Like, no, no, they didn't no. Say, tell me anything. Um, they thought the million bucks would be enough to get me to, to sign anything. <laughs> And I said, that's great, but can I still make my crazy short films on the weekend? They said, yeah, you can do that, but we will own those films. And I said, well, what about if I uh, told someone a funny joke? Well, that's, we own that joke. Uh, what if I have a dream? Well, that's, that's ours. That's our dream. So um, I realized that maybe this wasn't the best opportunity. I mean, it's hard to turn down a million bucks to work for Disney, which was my childhood dream. Uh, but you know, um, I did, I had to do it. Um, and maybe I was a stupid idea. I don't know, <laughs> but every morning when I wake up and I go to my drawing board and draw whatever I want, uh, and no one's criticizing me or making me change stuff, uh, that to me is worth more than a million dollars. So I've kept this path of, of being, of making my own films. I'm not a rich guy. I, I'm not, uh, you know, have a fancy car or a fancy house or anything, but I'm making the kind of films that I really want to make. And it's interesting because I know a lot of uh, feature directors in Hollywood and they're, you know, big, they did big films like um, um, Lion King and, and, and um, you know, a lot of blue sky films and things like that, DreamWorks films. And they can't get another project because they're waiting for, the studios to okay them to to make a film consequently there they've made one or two films and i've made uh nine animated feature films and i i i i really um feel that i've accomplished a lot and that's because i i am independent and i finance my own films and that's that's how i'm able to uh, make a living and how do you finance you know like does every movie make enough movie to make the next one? Well, um, the films make money. I sell them to uh, cable stations, uh, TV stations. Uh, I do very well in Europe, uh, Spain, uh, France, uh, Germany, 
mm -hmm. uh, Korea. I sell them all over the world. Um, and plus I supplement it with other things like um, I do commercials. I do uh, music videos. I do um, uh, sometimes illustrations. And, and also I sell a lot of merch. I, a lot of my films, which I own, obviously, are on DVDs. I've done books. Uh, right now, I'm starting to sell the original art. And I do the Simpsons stuff. I do a lot of the Simpsons ga couch gags. Um, and those uh, original pieces of art are very, are very valuable. So uh, a lot of it is just, you know, making money doing uh, other things um, that are supplemental. Uh, to my to my career also my short films do well too they, they make money also so it's those various um, outlets that that uh, afford me the the money to make my film to get to all those countries to get to all those venues you need people do people walk for you and you know say it's their job to sell those things to the venues to sell those to venues You're right. Uh, the, the way I do it is I go to film festivals and the, the market festivals like the Cannes Market or Berlin or Sundance or Toronto, uh, they have a lot of buyers there. That's always been the way I did it was uh, they would watch my film. They would hear the audience applause, say, hmm, it must be a good film. And they were offering me money to to buy it. So that's how I uh, sell a lot of my films, is in the film festivals. And have there been, I assume there have been ups and downs during that period? Like, well, the... Wish uh, Disney would come now and give me a million dollars. I'm sorry, what? Like, where you wish uh, maybe Disney would come back with an offer again or something. Uh, really hard times. Uh, no, I think I'd, I'd, I'd start putting naked women in there and I'd get fired. Mm -hmm. But um, the coronavirus hit, hit us hard because um, the theaters, a lot of theaters closed down, a lot of festivals closed down, and it was difficult to sell my films at that point. Uh, but now that the, um, the virus is starting to go away here in the US, uh, uh, I'm starting to travel a lot more and do more meetings. Uh, but the good thing about the coronavirus, if, I, if there is a good thing, is that I was able to get a lot of work done. I, I, uh, just about finished my new feature called Slide. And uh, I'm really anxious that that film uh, uh, comes out next year and there should be, hopefully, uh, the virus is, is close to being done then. And so I can travel to more festivals. I, for example, I just came back from a festival in Spain and there were a number of people there who Uh, I just showed them clips from the film and they were very excited about it and they were already wanted to show the film. So um, that, that's how it usually works. And you see a lot of uh, indie animators around you. Uh, and there's a few listening to this podcast. Like what kind, of, what kind of behavior do you see that you like or that you don't like that you can give them advice on? What, what kind of hints for them to succeed? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have what's called Plimpton's Dogma. And this is uh, three rules for making a successful short film. And short films can make money. I make money on my short films. They, they do very well. And the reason is the dogma. And the rule number one in dogma is make your film short. For a short film, five minutes, six minutes, 
maybe 10 minutes. That's about the, the, the longest you should go. If you make a 15 or 20 minute film, uh, no one's going to want to buy it because it's, it's really hard to place. It's really hard to show. It's too long for a short film. Um, number two is make your film cheap. Uh, around $1,000 a minute. And now with all this digital technology, it's really easy to make it uh, not so expensive. And then number three is make your film funny. Um, if you want to make a political film or an artistic film, uh, go ahead and do it. But if you don't have humor in there, no one's going to want to see it. Uh, people really like to laugh. And it's just so much easier to sell a film that's funny than, uh, than not. So those are my three rules. And they also translate to feature films too. Don't make a three hour epic animated film. It's gonna be really hard to sit through. Try and keep it like 70, 80 minutes. That's, that's the perfect length for a feature film. And also make it uh, cheap and make it uh, funny. And that's a uh, secret to my success. And how do you make money from, from the short movies? Well, I told you. Uh, they sell on, on TV, they sell um, on cable, they sell on the internet, um, they sell, um, I, I, uh, I put DVDs together of all my short films, uh, you know, they sell all over the world. They're actually, again, more popular in Europe than they are in the States, but I, I do make money in the States. There are certain uh, distributors and uh, um, theaters that like to show uh, short films before their feature. And I saw that uh, in, uh, there's a festival in France, I forget its name, uh, I think that where people actually, you know, respond during the, uh, during the, the, the movies, you know, they shout, they don't like it. Well, the French do that no matter what it is, but maybe you're thinking of Clermont Frond, I don't know, yeah. or Annecy, Annecy, yeah. they react uh, very, very vocally to the films. And I like that. Uh, and if they hate a film, boy, they'll throw stuff at you and sneer at you. They get really uh, very angry. But what they love you, if they like the film, then you're, you're a god. When did you get, um, like, doing animation is sitting at home. And then you go to the theater and you see people react mm -hmm. And you see people actually laugh. Uh, yes. And I'm sure, you know, I did that in the theater. It's... it's uh, it's it's like a drug, right? It just yeah, totally, that. totally. So when did that happen to you? Like, uh, well, it was that first screening I did of my film Your Face, which I did in 1987. Uh, when I saw that in a theater, or not in a theater, but in a, a large auditorium, and I started hearing people laugh, uh, it was like a drug. I, I felt levitating up in the air. It was so so marvelous. And I knew right then that uh, this is my goal in life because before that, I'd always been doing um, magazine illustrations and caricatures for newspapers and things like that. So I never got to hear the response of the audience. But uh, once you get in a movie theater, you hear the audience respond and it's, um, it's really like a great drug. It's, it's really a fantastic feeling. Um, you know, I, I must mention that I am, I just finished a, a new short film and it, it broke a lot of the rules on my, mm. on my uh, dogma. Um, it was uh, 10 minutes long, which is not so good. And it's not funny. 
It's oh. a very um, serious topic. It's about the coronavirus. And I didn't write it. A friend of mine wrote it. Um, and he uh, sent me the script and I loved it. I said, this is something that, you know, it's not going to make a lot of money, but it's something that I really want to do. It's very visual. It's um, about this girl whose mother dies from the virus, <laughs> and the, the bad uh, dream she has uh, and the fear she has. And it's something I could relate to. And I think everybody around the world can relate to it. And so that's why I decided to make a film that, that broke my Plimpton's dogma rules. So I'm not going to make a lot of money on the film, but I think it's an important film for people to see. Mm, okay. And um, some, some uh, indie animators, I'm sure, trying to go their own way, trying to do their own thing, get a lot of mm -hmm. pressure from the side saying, you should be more mainstream. You should be more like this, just for one time or for two times, mm -hmm. you know, just to get popular, just to get your name out there. What would you say to, uh, to them? Well, give me an example. I'm not quite sure I understand. Like, you know, people who, are, uh, who do their own thing, like you, it's quite different from what other people are doing. Yeah. Uh, and then they get pressure from uh, people outside telling them, the family or friends or producer. I say do more something more traditional. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I say no to that. Um, I my films are um, sometimes offensive. They're very uh, uh, sexual. They're very violent. Um, and my parents never liked my films, quite frankly. Um, but I they, these are the films that I want to make. These are the films that make me happy. So I would uh, say that I do do what you really want, uh, the kind of visuals that you really want to make, uh, make that film. Makes you happy. What's that? It makes you happy. It makes you happy, yeah. You feel accomplished that you're doing something. And plus, um, when I get a lot of interns coming in here showing me their work and I see something that's anime, I immediately don't like it. I, I don't want to see anime. I want to see something that's different, something I've never seen before, something that is refreshing and um, uh, expands my, um, my view of, of artwork, of animation. So I really don't like to see old, old style uh, ideas and, and, and visuals. I want to see something fresh and different. And how do you work with uh, um, people who come to you? Like, uh, well, uh, we have a small studio. Uh, see if I can show it to you. Um, it's uh, it's we got four people here, um, and um, one of them is an intern, uh, and they come in to help with the the uh, scanning and uh, the coloring and compositing and the cleaning. And they help put the put the film together. Okay. And I, my main the main thing I, I want to talk today it's it's not about the technical stuff of doing the movie. Be good, because I'm about not so the, good about. Yeah, about the, the indie path, you know, going uh, being a, an indie, like uh, how is it that you began in the '80s when, like. What was the switch? What made you go into animation during that time and not earlier? 
Well, I, um, you know, when I first saw Disney cartoons and, and Warner Brothers cartoons on TV, I think I was around seven or eight. And I knew that's what I wanted to do because that was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. I never laughed so hard uh, than, uh, you know, Daffy Duck or, or Goofy or someone like that. So that was my dream. But like I said, when I got in college, there were no animation schools, no way to learn animation because the, the business was really dying. It was, uh, it was a old, you know, traditional business that had sort of died out. Mm -hmm. So I felt that I couldn't uh, do animation because um, I didn't know how to do it. It's very hard to do it. And besides, when I made my film, what would I do with it? So that's why I moved to New York to become an illustrator and um, caricature artist. But you know what? It worked out pretty well because learning how to do uh, comic strips and how to do caricatures, I developed a style, a technique uh, that was perfect for animation. It's that cross-hatching, that loose pen style, colored pencil. And also I learned how to develop my humor how to tell a joke uh, real quickly without words, how to make people laugh without words. And so I, in 87, when I got this opportunity to do Boomtown, um, they had someone on the production, even though I didn't get, didn't get paid for that film, someone on the production showed me each step of the way, you know, how to... Uh, uh, get the film processed, uh, where to get the soundtrack made, uh, how to do backgrounds, how to use cameras, how to uh, edit, a million things that I had no idea how to do. So once I learned uh, the process from Boomtown, then I did this film called Your Face. And that's the, one, the first real film that I did on my own. And that film really broke the mold. It, it got uh, numerous festivals. It was uh, shown on MTV. It was nominated for an Oscar. I mean, the first uh, for your first film to come out and be that successful uh, is very rare. I, I was I don't know if I was lucky or it's really a good film or what it was, but that film just took off like crazy. And then I knew immediately that I'd finally um, made it. You know, this is my dream. This is my childhood dream to be a uh, an animator and so it was really uh, uh, a big deal for me the film your face it changed everything in my life and that that thing you said about uh that you don't know why uh it got that treatment do, do you like your own movies like i know you have to do them but some artists can't look at stuff they already did like they move on to the next thing mm-hmm do you like so what, watching your movies? I'm asking if you like watching your old movies. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I do a lot of uh, master classes. I go, in fact, I just did one in Spain, and I would show my films, and I love watching them. You know, they're, um, they're crazy, they're bizarre, and I love hearing the audience laugh. So, uh, yeah, it's a pleasure for me to, to see my old films. And do you learn uh, new stuff from... Uh... Not so much. No, by now I know the weaknesses of every film, what's wrong with it, how to fix it, but it's, it's too late uh, to do that right now. Um, but each film I do, especially the feature films, the, lo the long films, I, I learn a lot because um, 
this it's a two-year, three-year process, and I'm always evolving and trying to make them better and better. So I try different things. I like to try new things. And so that's I learn more on the, the features. Is there like something you learn from uh, the young people you work with, the younger people who come there uh, intern? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. You know, it's funny. I had one intern. Uh, his name was Chris Miller. I don't know if you know him. He the, he's one that did all the Lego movies and um, mm. a cloudy with a chance of meatballs. And now he's huge. I mean, he's like, uh, can do anything he wants. And uh, I didn't know he was really funny when he was working for me. I mean, he was kind of funny when he talked and everything, but he became a great writer and I should have hired him to, to work on my next film because he really is a superstar now. But, you know, I always hire people that, I, that have something that I haven't seen before or can do something that is really admirable, something that I really uh, love. So, yeah, I do learn little things from, uh, from a lot of my, my workers. Great. Thank you very much for your time and for answering everything. And thank you, Bill. You're welcome, Guy. And tell everybody to look out for Demi's Panic, the new, the new short film I'm doing, uh, starting to do the festival circuit. Uh, hopefully it'll be in Israel sometime. And then also Slide, which will be out next year sometime. Yeah, and Jim uh, Luhan talked about uh, Slide uh, also. Uh, absolutely. Right. Thank you so much to Bill Plimpton and to my first ever guest on the podcast, Ken Moa, who made this happen. And thank you to everyone who participated in the first 50 episodes. If I was American, I would say shout out to everyone, but I'm not, so I didn't say that. Now, next time, because there are always more creators and fans in our Geekverse, next time we explore drawing children's books by an artist who is the wife of one of our previous guests. This will complete our first ever husband-wife-wife-husband set, uh, meaning we interviewed both of them. Uh, so stick around for that. That's out on Monday. What did you think about this episode? Write to me, guy.hasson, that's H-A-S-S-O-N, guy.hasson at geekdomempowers.com. Write to me what you think about this episode, about previous episodes. Write to me if you can recommend someone. Write to me if you can recommend yourself for an interview. I want to know people I don't know. Got it? Thank you. And also let me know if I can read your uh, email on the podcast. Our website is geekdomimpows.com. On Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, we are at geekdomimpows. We also have geekdomimpows on YouTube now, uploading more and more previous episodes. Those episodes, by the way, are fascinating to look at when you look at the video. The Kugali one is bananas. The one with the 12 monkeys, not yet published. Uh, uh, amazing. So many amazing things, just they're different visually than, uh, um, than they are in sound only. If you want to check out, by the way, my other podcast, the Squash Buckler Dies podcast, that's uh, experimental fantasy, tried it daily. The Squash Buckler Dies podcast. I will see you next time. And for now, have an empowered day. <laughs>